everybody. My name is John Elmore. I serve as uh, pastoral care and regeneration here at the Dallas campus. Today, we kick off a sermon series called Never Be the Same. These are life-changing encounters with Jesus. Now, Never Be the Same is a really familiar line to me because it's what we've been using with the regeneration team for the last like five or six years, saying that if you meet Jesus or if you walk with Jesus, your life will never be the same. He won't make you better, he'll make you new, and you will never be the same. So this is gonna be an incredible journey through the gospels as we see Jesus move in the lives of many and also in yours, and I can't wait to do it together. So uh, you gotta know also that we just had church leaders conference about a month ago, and oftentimes, John McGee, who he's kind of the, the visioneer and leader of the Church Leaders Conference, well, all throughout the year, John and I have this ongoing text thread late at night. It'll be like, hey, what do you think about what's God put on your heart, et cetera, et cetera. And John texts me kind of leading up to CLC, and he's like, hey, is there anything you've been thinking about, like anything you're stuck on? And I'm like, yeah, dude, totally. He's like, cool, what is it? I'm like, Thomas. And I just see the like, dot, dot, dot in the text message. He's like, Thomas what? I'm like, you know, Thomas and the wounds, you know, Jesus. I'll never believe unless I see the wounds. Dot, dot, dot. He's like, and? He's like, hey, look, bro, I'm, I'm thinking through the like CLC main stage sessions. Like I need to, can you unpack that a little more for me? Like, is there anything else there? And I share with him. And he's like, ah, oh, now I see. Because for the last like few months, God just like had it on my heart and on my mind. I can't stop thinking about Thomas. And let me tell you, I'm 45 years old. I don't think previous to this, I've spent more than 10 seconds ever thinking about Thomas. He's like kind of written off, really. Like what, is, what, what do we know Thomas for? Like what do you know Thomas for? Doubting Thomas, like a thousand people just said it in unison. <laughs> 2,000 years after the dude lived, if your life, <laughs> If you lived a life 2,000 years ago and you're known as Doubting Thomas, you missed it. Like swing and a miss, colossal mistake, something erred in a great and grand way. If your moniker and nickname, like a lot of people in the Bible have nicknames, yours is Doubting Thomas. It's like, dude, that, you're on the struggle bus. Doubting Thomas, are you serious? And you probably never heard a sermon on Doubting Thomas, like, open your Bibles. Doubt. Let's talk about the one who said, I will never believe. That's not super encouraging. And yet I can't stop thinking about him. He's been on my mind and heart. And this is like life changing to me and I believe it's gonna change your life too as we unpack this. Here's the thing. Thomas is only mentioned 12 times in the entire, uh, the entire Bible, 12 times. And nine of those, nine of the 12 are only because he's just on the roster. He's just one of the apostles, and so they had to include him. Like, eh, you and Bartholomew, I guess you get a notable mention, because you're just like, you're one of us, so we, we have to, because everybody knows there's 12, so we're gonna drop your name in there. But other than that, there's only three times that we ever even record him speaking or doing anything. Only three times in the entire scriptures, one of which is him saying, I'll never believe. Let me tell you the other two. So one is in John 11. It's when Lazarus, uh, Mary and Martha's brother, he's sick to the point of death. It's a strange passage. Jesus, they, they come to him, they're like, hey, Lazarus is dying, and he's like, cool, then I'm gonna wait here for two days and let him die. And I was like, Jesus, what are you doing? Like, why would you not go and heal him? You're healing other people, but you're gonna let him die? He says, I'm glad for your sake that he has died so that God may be glorified. It's like, wait, what, what are you doing? 
And here's what Thomas says. Thomas says, well, let us go too that we might die with him. And you know the apostles are like, what? Thomas, get back on the roster. Why did you say that? That's so stupid. Go die with him. Lazarus died. We don't want to, what are you talking about? But then I went back and I read the passage like in the full context. And here's what happened. Earlier in John, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees. And uh, he says to them, they're like, oh, so, so you, you've seen Abraham? And he says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. And in hearing that, they pick up stones to kill him because they know that he is equating himself. This is what God said to Moses when he calls Moses. Moses is like, what should I tell the people? He's like, you tell them that I am sent you. He said, before Abraham was, I am. They pick up stones to kill him. And so whenever they come to him, they're like, hey, Lazarus is dying. The other disciples say, hey, Jesus, you know that the Jews just tried to stone you to death. That's what the rest are saying. Then you've got Thomas who says, well, let us go with him that we almost also might die. It was an incredible statement of courage and faith. He's like, dude, Jesus, you go back there, you go back to Bethany in Jerusalem where you said you were God in flesh, you go back there, they're gonna kill you, but I'm with you, I'm with you. You go, they kill you, they kill me too, I'm in. I'm all in, all my chips, I'm with you here for it. Like, that's incredible for Thomas. Like, we don't talk about that. The other disciples are like, you shouldn't do that. He's like, I'm going to. Thomas is like, I'm with you, and let's all go. The other time that he's mentioned is in John 14, and we all know this passage. Like, this is a really famous passage where Jesus says, hey, in my Father's house, there are many rooms. I go and prepare a place for you. I'm gonna get you. I'm gonna take you. If it weren't so, I wouldn't have told you, but it's gonna be awesome. And Thomas like raises his hand kind of sheepishly. He's like, um, we don't know where you're going or how to get there. And you know the apostles too are like, oh, Thomas, get back in the roster. Why did you say that? I don't think it's the case. I think the rest of the apostles were silent. They didn't say anything. It was Thomas who actually asked. Nobody knows John 14, 5. That's when Thomas says, we don't know where you're going or the way to get there. Then we get John 14, 6. Where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through the Son. Like, thank God for Thomas's question that he asks. And then you have his third mention. Third time, other than the roster, that he actually says something. And here we go. We're going to start with the resurrection. So, we're in John chapter 20. It's verse 11, this is where it is. Mary, Mary Magdalene, she goes to the tomb. So this is Sunday morning. The angels already rolled back the stone. Soldiers fall down as though dead when they see the angels. She walks into the tomb. The, the, the tomb would have had a, an entryway. It says she stooped down to go inside. There's an open room where they put the embalming spices. This is the, the aloe, the myrrh, and everything where they would have wrapped him with a linen shroud and all that. Then they would have laid Jesus on the bed to the right. Maybe it was to the left, I don't know why. Anyway, they lay him on a bed. And when she walks in, she finds two people there. Two angels, just like sitting on the bench. And you know, I mean, she's like, she starts, she's crying, because Jesus isn't there, but two people are. She doesn't realize they're angels at this point. And they're like, why are you, woman, why are you weeping? She's like, where have you laid him? Where did you put him? Where, where have you laid him? Why are you weeping? And another account's like, hey, he's not dead, he's risen. 
as they're saying, why are you weeping, she hears somebody else say, why are you weeping? Now, this is like a, you know, a, a tomb, and so what you've got is sunshine behind and then just a black silhouette. Woman, why are you weeping? She turns around, she thinks it's the gardener, she says, where have you put his body? She thinks it's the gardener, not, not because she can't recognize him, because she's just looking at a silhouette, until her Savior says, Mary. She hears her Savior say her name, and she just wraps him up. So much so that he's like, hey, you gotta let me go. I've yet ascended to the Father. But go and tell my brothers, go tell the boys what you've seen. So in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I've seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. Verse 19, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, so this is Sunday night, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. You know why he says peace be with you? Because he just scared them to death. He just popped into a locked room, like resurrected body, you can just enter, you're gonna be able to punk people in amazing ways, and after you do, you should say peace be with you. I'll be a little rattled. Verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side where the nails pierced and the spear pierced. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Now, the reason why I take the time to get this far back, like Mary saw the resurrected Christ, and what does he do? The very first thing that Jesus does with the apostles is like, hey, look at my hands. Look where they drove the nails. Look at my side where they pierced because their minds are blown. They saw him crucified. They're like, what's going on? And so Jesus shows them. He delights to show them, you know it's me. Here's my wounds, see it. We always throw Thomas under the bus for being like, that he had to see the wounds, but it's the very first thing he does to the apostles. Now in verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other apostles, the other disciples told him, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands and the mark of the nails and the place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side. I will never believe. From which we get the moniker Doubting Thomas. Like, like there it is, 2,000 years later. He says those words and that's what everybody remembers. But why would Thomas have said, unless I put my finger into the mark in his hands or my hand into his side, I'll never believe. The reason why I said it is because they had said that to him. They'd be like, dude, it's him. We saw it. He showed us the scars. He showed us his wounds, the mortal wounds that he received. He showed us it all. It's him. And so Thomas, rightfully so, is like, well, unless I see it, I'll never believe. It was the same thing for them. I just killed a fly. <laughs> oh, you're excited about that? You buckle up. <laughs> Jesus is gonna kill death. Eight days later, well, hold on, let me say something. We give Thomas a hard time for wanting to see these, these scars and wounds. Well, let's back up to Moses. Moses is in the desert, burning bush, all that, and he's like, God, what am I gonna do? Walk back into Egypt and say, hey, by the way, God sent me, let's just walk out of here? They're not gonna believe me, Pharaoh's not gonna let me. He's like, throw down your staff, turns into a snake, pick it up turns into a staff again. Put your hand in your cloak, pull it out. Leprosy, put it back in, pull it out again. Clean. He's like, I got you. 
I got you, I'm not mad at you. I know it's crazy, Moses, what I'm asking you to do. I'm gonna show you, I'm not mad. I know that you wanna know, because I'm doing crazy things, so I'm gonna show you. Does the same thing with Gideon. Gideon's like, wait, what? How, I'm, I'm tribe of the least of these, Benjamite, like in here in the wine press? Ah, oh, let me, God, am I sure that I heard you right? Put out a fleece. Keep that dry, make everything else wet. God's like, okay. Next day, all right, maybe that was a coincidence. All right, this time, uh, make it wet, everything else dry. God's like, okay. I know, I know that it's crazy what I'm asking you to do. I'm not mad at you. I understand, I'm doing crazy things. And then with Mary, angel comes, hey, you're gonna be with child, blah, blah, blah. And she's like, well, how can this be since I'm a virgin? God's not mad. He's like, I understand, the Holy Spirit's gonna come upon you. Like, you'll be with child. And I'm gonna give Joseph a dream because he's gonna be, he's gonna be upset about this and wanna put you away. I'm gonna say like, hey, the child that your wife is with is of the Lord. God's not mad, not mad at Thomas, not mad at us. He loves us. Eight days later, his disciples were in town again, in, in town again, what? Inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood, he does it again, stood among them again, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, this is amazing. He says to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And listen, put out your hand and place it in in, in, y'all, in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And then here, I'm about to erase from your mind you ever calling him Doubting Thomas. Here's Thomas's response after he did that. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. He says, my kurios, which means my master, my Lord, and my theos, my God. Having touched his mortal wounds and now seen the resurrected Christ, he's like, that's it. You're God. This is more than any of the other apostles have said. Thomas gives us a, a right Christology. You're God in flesh. Fully man, fully God standing before me. You are the incarnate deity, Emmanuel. God dwells among us. You're him. My kurios and my theos, my Lord and my God. A lot of times we give like all the credit to Peter that he's the one that said like, well, who do people say that I am? Elijah, John the Baptist, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Well, who do you say? You're the Christ, the son of the living God. Great, blessed be you, Peter. God has revealed this to you. We were like, oh, good job, Peter. Dude, Peter's late to the dance. Nathaniel, when Nathaniel gets called, Jesus says to him, oh, here is a true son of Israel in whom there is no deceit. And Nathaniel's like, do you know me? He's like, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. And I was like, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. He's like, you believe because of this? You'll see much greater things. And then Peter's confession is good, but you've got Thomas's where he says, my Lord and my God, testifying that he is God in the flesh. But now I got something for you. This is amazing. Jesus says something to Thomas in response. But two millenniums later, Jesus is saying it to you. Check this out. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. 
This is what Peter writes, 1 Peter chapter one. He says, I know that you're going through this furnace of affliction, trials of various kinds, and gold though perishes through the fire. Your faith, which is of much greater value, will result in praise, glory, and honor. Why? Because when Christ is revealed, though you have not seen him, you love him. This is the same refrain. You've not seen the resurrected Christ, and yet you believe. Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen and have yet believe. And then you get the 12th mention of Thomas, and it's in the book of Acts, and again, it's just the roster. That's all it is. They're gathering in the upper room, waiting for the Holy Spirit to come, and they're just kind of lining out who's there. They just give you the roster again, that's it. That's it for Thomas. Book closed, the end of Thomas. Except, except for the fact the two church historians, Eusebius and Hippolytus, tell us what happened to Thomas afterwards. Dude, you wanna know what happened to Thomas afterwards? This will blow your mind. <laughs> Doubting Thomas, what a joke. Thomas went further than any other apostle, and he shared with more people groups than any other apostle. He went to India, Thomas went to India and was martyred there. Some say that Thomas went to India, then to China, to Pakistan, back to India, was martyred and buried to this day on Mount Shanai. Even if you talk to Indians to this day, they'll say, yeah, Thomas is a very common name because he took the gospel to India. When Jesus said, the spirit will come upon you and you'll share to the outermost parts of the earth, Thomas was like, I got it. I will, I will, because I've seen the resurrected Christ. I've seen the mortal wounds. I put my hand in his side. I know that he is my Lord and my God. I'm, I'm gonna go tell everyone, I'm never be the same. They will never be the same because I've seen the resurrected Christ. I know the power of the resurrection over those mortal wounds and I'm not gonna stop telling anybody till everybody knows. And he went farther than everyone all the other apostles, that is the power of showing wounds so that you can share your savior. And it's why I can't stop thinking about Thomas, why he's changing my life and I think he's gonna change yours. That's the power of the resurrected Christ. And the reason why it matters, the reason why it's like, okay, great, Thomas, Jesus, what? Because every single person, all eight billion people walking this earth also have a mortal wound, a mortal wound of sin. But not all have a savior. They've got a wound, they're dead in their sin, but not all have a savior. It says in Romans chapter six, verse 23, for the wages of sin is death. What we get because of our sin is death. It says in Ephesians two, that we are children of wrath, dead in our sins and trespasses. But Ephesians 2 doesn't leave us there, and Romans 6 doesn't leave us there. Romans 6 goes on to say, but the free gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. He says that whoever would believe in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That you, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that he's not just a man, not just a good teacher, that it was God in flesh, like that's the only one that can raise from the dead. Every other founder of every other religion is in the grave spared Jesus alone to show he's not just a man, 
fully man, fully God, raised from the dead. You confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is why Jesus says to Nicodemus in John 3, you must be born again. Because though we are physically alive as we are born, we are spiritually dead. And so Jesus is saying, hey, I know you're alive, but you're spiritually dead. You've got to be born again. Your spirit's got to be made new. Romans 6, a little bit earlier, it says that we have been crucified with Christ. Why? Because we were slaves to sin and Satan. That old man or woman's got to die. Crucified with Christ, buried with him in baptism, and raised again to walk in newness of life. He doesn't make you better. He makes you new. This is why when you trust in Jesus, you will never be the same. Not better, but new. And that's the power of the resurrection over your mortal wound of sin that everybody has. Everybody's got that mortal wound. Not everybody has a savior. And so we've got to tell people. And here's what it looks like in my life. Never once in my life, never once in my life have I gone to someone that I think needs to know Jesus and been like, have a seat. So I have a THM, a Master of Theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. I specialized in systematic theology, graduated with honors. I have worked for a church for over a decade. I'm a pastor. I'm here to help you today. Never, never. I would never do that because we don't, we don't share our resume to talk about our Savior. We share our wounds to talk about our Savior. We didn't need a Savior apart from our wounds. I didn't need Jesus apart from my sins. So you know where I go? I don't go resume land and DTS and all that. I go, hey, can I tell you I'm a recovering alcoholic? That's what Jesus saved me from. When I was with my wife the other night on a date, you know, Laura and I sitting there, I'm like, hey, can I have a lemonade with salt on the rim? And the waitress was like, yeah, I'll get, wait, what? You want tequila in it? Triple sec? Grand Marnier? You can tell I'm an alcoholic. You're like, wow, you just rattled all those off quick. <laughs> I keep going. I'll show you my wounds. I'm like, no, lemonade with salt on the rim. I'm a recovering alcoholic. That's what Jesus saved me from. Uber driver. Hey, man, you got a faith? Uh, yeah, I'm Muslim. Cool. Hey, I'm Christian. You want to know why? I was a recovering alcoholic. I was a drunk. Weed, pills. Never struggled with porn. Oh, really? Yeah, I never struggled with it because I loved it. It's funny, you know, when you're up here, you kill flies, people are like, yeah! <laughs> you loved porn. <laughs> hey, some of y'all do too. That's not as funny. <laughs> Awkward laugh. It's like, oh shoot, oh shoot, where's the nearest exit? Everybody's got their wound, their mortal wound, not everybody has a savior, and so I go there. And it's intimate, right? Like for me to sit, <laughs> For me to say, instead of just being like, hey, uh, chips and queso, lemonade with salt, blah, 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 say I'm a recovering alcoholic. It's like, okay, we went there. All right, we're gonna get real with each other. It's intimate. That, that changes me and Stephanie's relationship. That was the name of our waitress. And we're friends now. And we prayed for her before our meal. Like that changes things. It becomes intimate when I say, I want you to put your hand right here on my alcoholism. I'm gonna let you. I'm gonna let you, it's okay. I'll let you know me, because it's not me anymore. I've been raised. I have been saved. 
And so it's okay. Put your finger right there. I mean, you know Thomas. That was super intimate. When Jesus is like, put your hand on my side. And he's like, oh, okay. Uh. It's intimate. And it's powerful. It's so powerful. To see the resurrection power of Christ as you share your wounds to share your Savior. It's not just me. The, the woman who leads our marriage ministry, Susan Cox, you know the wound that she'll roll up her sleeve and say, I want to show you something. I was an adulteress. That's what Jesus did to save me in Rawls' marriage. He changed me. He saved me. He rescued me. And now marriage is being restored and resurrected. What he did for me, he'll do for you. So I'll show you my wound. I texted her. I'm like, hey, you mind if I share that? She's like, share it with everybody and just starts praying over me. I asked David Kenny. David Kenny, he stole $30,000 worth of equipment off this stage and from behind stage to hawk it at a pawn shop to buy hardcore street drugs that could have killed him. Left his wife and little girls to chase his drug habit while stealing 30000 that y'all probably tithed and gave to the church. David Kinney right now, you know what he's got? He's got this. He has a key to every building, in every room, in every closet at this church. He oversees the facilities of this entire campus because Jesus saved him. That's crazy. That's crazy. Because it's not David anymore. He's been raised again. I'm like, David, you mind if I share your story? He writes in all caps, green light, tell everybody. He's like, I'll show my wound so that I can share my Savior? Absolutely. Amy and Hugh Stevenson. Amy's a community director. I've asked Hugh to do the same. I think one day he will. Pray for him. He'll repent and join our team. <laughs> when they were in college and met, started sleeping together, got pregnant, they thought, well, we can fix this. Had an abortion. They'll, they'll roll up their sleeves and show that wound so that they can share their Savior because it doesn't define them. They, they made that choice, and it's not, it doesn't define them. God loves them. All of us have our sin, every single one of us. Everybody does. Some of you, you're like, man, I, I hear your wound, the alcoholism, the adultery, the abortion, the drug addiction, but I, I, don't, I don't have that, man. I was raised in a family of faith. My parents like, led me to the Lord when I was five. I've been walking with Jesus ever since, and yes, I've sinned, but I don't... I don't know what I would even tell somebody if I, and let me just say to you, praise God. I, 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 I have kids, seven, five, and three. I hope they have that testimony. I don't want them to have those like deep wounds that I did when I walked away from God. I long for them to have the testimony that some of you do that were raised in a family of faith and trusted Jesus from an early age and were baptized and following him. Like, praise God for that. But you still were dead in your sin, right? You didn't need Jesus apart from that. All of us, all of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, it was because of our sin that we knew that we were standing separated from God and needed to be reconciled. And you still have wounds, like just because you trusted in Jesus when you were five doesn't mean that you still don't struggle with control, anxiety, people pleasing, being a Pharisee, like, well, thank God I'm not like them. I lead a Bible study, I lead worship, I do inductive Bible study even. I pray, I even fast. Thank God I'm not like them. 
And there's this self-righteousness that creeps in. And somewhere along the way, we stop talking about these things. We're like, I follow Jesus, I lead in a Bible study, I disciple my kids, I pray before meals, I'm a Christian. And I think people are like, wait, I thought Jesus saves people from his sin. Like, what did he save you from? If you needed Jesus, what was your sin? You still need him, right? What was your sin? Why'd you stop talking about your sin? Somewhere along the way, we've stopped. But the Bible shares something different. The Bible has a different outline. The Bible doesn't stop talking about it. So let's go back to Jacob. This is really funny. Jacob, his name is deceiver or schemer. Well, I mean, if you grow up and you're like, Dad, why'd you name me Jacob? He's like, ah, because you're a schemer. You're like, oh, thanks, Dad. Awesome. That's going to haunt me. And it did. Followed him all his life. Schemer and deceiver was his name. And then he wrestles with God. At the end of his life, it says he's blessing his grandchildren, right? He's got them on his, on his legs, and he's blessing them, and he switches his arm. It's weird. And the other thing that's weird is, it says, and he leaned on his staff. And I'm looking at this book. I'm like, all right. It's already a big book. I think we're going for economy of words here, God. Like, leaned on his staff? Is that really an important detail? But then when you go to Hebrews 11, which is the hall of faith, you've got just a few people that are mentioned, like great heroes of the faith. And frankly, if I'm picking, I don't put Jacob in it. But the Holy Spirit did. Hall of faith. And in the hall of faith, you only get one sentence for you. And you know what God labors to do in that one sentence? He repeats the refrain and says, and he leaned on his staff. God, why are you including that detail? Because God doesn't ever want us to forget. He was a schemer, and he wrestled with God, so I wrenched his hip out of place, and he was gonna walk with a limp the rest of his life to know that you don't walk apart from me. You walk with me the rest of your life, and so God goes to pains to tell us and he leaned on his staff because that's what Jacob needed to be with on daily dependence with God. He won't let us forget. And then you've got another favorite, Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, she funded Jesus' ministry. Like, I don't know what she did, but she was flush. And she was like taking care of Jesus and his ministry and all the boys, getting them food, whatever else. And so they could have said that in the Gospels. They could have said, Mary, who funded Jesus' ministry? That would have been a nice thing to say. They could have said, Mary, who was first to the tomb and saw the resurrected Christ. That would have been awesome. You know what the gospel writers say? Mary, out of whom seven demons came. You know why I think that is? Because Mary wants you to never forget, I will show you my wounds so I can share my Savior. I was filled with darkness and demons and Jesus saved me. I'll show you my wounds so I can share my Savior. Paul is writing to the Galatians. Paul gives us these little breadcrumbs to kind of tell us what's going on. And it's kind of weird when you're reading them like out of context. But in, in Galatians, he says, you know that it was out of a physical affliction that I first shared the gospel with you. We're like, okay. So he was sick and maybe he got like kind of stopped over in Galatia to get better. But then a couple lines later, he says, for I know that if you could have, you would have gouged out your own eyes and given to them me, if you could. And then at the end of the letter, he says, you know this is me because of the large letters with which I am writing. Paul is telling them, he's showing them his wounds so that he can share his savior. He's saying, you remember who I was. 
I was the Pharisee. I was a bounty hunter. I was killing Christians. Don't ever forget, as he writes to Timothy, even though I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and violent man, the mercy and patience of God was put on display through me because Jesus came to me, knocked me off my prideful high horse in blinding light as though the sun and scales covered my eyes and I never recovered. My eyesight never recovered from seeing the resurrected, glorified Christ. He's showing you his wounds so that he can share his savior. He did it to the Galatians, carrying over 2,000 years, but you wanna know who my favorite is? My very favorite wounds to share the savior is the Gerasene demoniac. The Gerasene demoniac, Mark chapter five. So we know this story, it's Jesus, uh, it says evening comes and he says let us go on to the other side, which is a bad time to take a boat ride, but they do anyway. And a storm comes upon them, this huge swell. And the, the apostles, who many of them have spent their whole lives on the Sea of Galilee, they're going down. The, the ship's being swamped. Jesus is taking a nap. And they, they rouse him and they're like, Rabbi, do you not care that we're perishing? They're gonna die. Jesus gets up, peace be still. Poof. And it's just like crazy still. To the point that they're like, who is this that even the wind and waves obey? And then they get to the other side, you know, the boat lands there on the gravel. It's still nighttime, I would imagine, because it doesn't take that long. And out of the tombs, it says out of the tombs at night, as if that's not eerie enough, there was a man who lived naked among the tombs, cutting himself with stones day and night as he cried out. And it says that they shackled him with chains but he would break free. No one could subdue him because of his strength. And they land on the shore, and here comes naked crazy guy running down the beach to the apostles and just boom, on his knees before Jesus because he knows who Jesus is. And he says, it says in Matthew, son of God, have you come here to torment us before the appointed time? And then there's this super weird exchange the verb tense, it says Jesus is saying, come out of the man. And we know from the verb tense, he's saying it more than, more than once. So there's this argument between he and the demons. Come out of the man. Don't send us into the abyss. Come out of the man. Don't send us out in the country. Come out of the man. Don't, don't torture us before the demented time. And he says, what is your name? He says, we in a demonic voice, like put yourself there. We are legion for we are many. And then the demons start bargaining with Jesus. They're asking him for favors. It says the word beg. The demons are begging Jesus, send us into the pigs. And you know the apostles are like, he's not gonna do that. He doesn't listen to demons. He's not gonna let you, what's he gonna do? Do you a favor? Jesus is like, go. They go into the pigs, the demons. 2,000 pigs rush down the bank and die there in the Sea of Galilee and drowned. And you know at this point, the apostles are like, get back in the boat. Everybody, back in the boat. Leave Jesus, we don't care, back in the boat. I mean, it's crazy. Naked demoniac, dead pigs, everything's weird. And then the next thing you know, the demoniac is seated and clothed in his right mind at the feet of Jesus. 
Jesus brings order to that chaos. But there's somebody else that's begging now. It's not the demons. He says, yes to them, go to the pigs. Then there's somebody else begging, and it's the herdsmen. They all see this. They're like, what in the world? And they're begging him to leave. Get out. Go back. Leave here. We don't want you. And it's this argument. You've got the herdsmen, the demoniacs seated there, Jesus, the apostles, the boat, 2,000 dead pigs. And it's so eerie as they're yelling at him to go out. And then I'm going to pick it up in verse 18, 17. It says, and they begged Jesus to depart their region. And Jesus complied. It says, as he was getting into the boat. So he says, yes to the demons, yes to the herdsmen. Get a load of this. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him. The demons begged. The herdsmen begged. Now the guy that he rescued begged. You know what he's begging? It says right here that he might be with him. Now, all throughout Jesus' ministry, he says to the fishermen, leave your nets and follow me. He says to the tax collector, leave your tax collecting booth and follow me. He says to the rich man, let the dead bury the dead, follow me. To everybody Jesus meets, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. The garrison demoniac says, let me follow you. He says, no. What? Yes to the demons, yes to the herdsmen, to the guy who actually wants to follow him. No, like, why? And you know the apostles are like, yes! Oh my goodness, I don't know why he said no, but the naked guy's not coming, yes! They're so relieved at this point. But it seems really mean, right? Mean and sad, like why, Jesus? Didn't you go to rescue him and now you're leaving him? What's happening? And they get back in the boat. And you've got the demoniac standing on the shore with the angry herdsman, and he's like, I wanted to go with you, but you saved me. And then you've got the apostles probably pushing back, imagine this, through the water of dead pigs, like boom, boom, boom. It's eerie. And that would have been it. Because Jesus said to him, He did not permit him to go, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mad mercy on you. The end. The end. Are you kidding me? They just leave him on the shore and they go back. And when they go back, it's business as usual. Hey, Jairus' daughter, can you come heal her? Woman who's got the blood condition. Everybody's getting healed. Business as usual. That guy's gone. They've left. They went back across the sea. Nobody knows what happened. The end. Except for the fact that sometime later, somebody caught up with him. Someone caught up with the demoniac. Because it says, and he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone marveled. Somebody down the road caught up with him. It's collapsed here in scripture, but they went back. Somebody saw him and like, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, I know you. I've seen you before. You're the guy from the garrisons, aren't you? You were the one who lived among the tombs. What, what, what happened? What did you do? Where did you go? And you know what he said? He said, I went back. I went back to the Decapolis, the 10 cities, the outpost of Rome there in Judea, and I proclaimed 
to them what Jesus had done for me. Do you know the word proclaimed there? This is crazy. It's the word preach. It's what John the Baptist, he preached. It's what Jesus did. It's the same word Jesus preached. It's what they say of Paul, he preached. It's the Greek word keruso, the garrison demoniac kerusoed to the Decapolis. He preached to them, look at me. Let me show you my wounds so I can share my savior. He preached to them. And when it says all the people were amazed, The word amazed is the same word that's used when Jesus performs miracles. Not like, oh wow. They had seen a living, walking miracle because he went back and he was courageous enough to roll up his sleeves and say, look here, let me show you my wounds. This is where I cut myself. When the demons had filled me, when I cut myself among the tombs, I was living among the dead. Here's the scars from the shackles because no one could subdue me, but Jesus saved me. But it's written for us. It's recorded for us because if you are in Christ, it's what he did for you. And so the question is, will you go? Will you go and will you now Show your wounds so that you can share your savior because everybody has sin and not everyone has a savior. Will you go like the demoniac? Will you go, Jesus saved you to send you. Church, show your wounds so you can share your savior. Pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Thank you for sending God in flesh, my Lord and my God. Thank you, Lord, that we now know the power of the resurrection through Jesus. You conquered sin, death, and Satan so that we might be saved because we too have the mortal wound of sin. But for those who have trusted in Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, believing in the resurrection, we're saved. Never be the same, raised again to walk in newness of life, but you didn't just save us, you've sent us out, just like Thomas, that we'd go out to the ends of the earth to tell everyone who will listen who Jesus is and what he has done. May we be faithful, like Thomas, who who did not doubt, he believed. May we be like the demoniac, to go back to where we're from and tell everything that Jesus has done for us. May they all be amazed in Jesus' name.